0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, um, good evening everyone. Is this too loud? Loud enough? I'm hearing. Perfect. Okay. There's plenty of room in, in here if anyone out there wants to come in. There's more chairs and plenty of floor room, so feel welcome to come in. So tonight, I want to give uh, a talk that I'm going to call, uh, I'm going to give the title for the person who does this already. Uh, kind attention is wise attention. Kind attention is wise attention. So, uh, with Dharma practice, we've all had encouragement and instructions to develop a quality of mindful awareness. And um, this quality of mindful awareness is more than just being able to know um, the content of what's happening. It's to be able to understand um, deeply with clear comprehension what's going on. This is, this, is what to, this is the development of mindfulness in a meditative or a Dharma way. But, uh, not but, but uh, in addition to that, we are encouraged to um, uh, or as a way to support that, we're encouraged to something called uh, wise attention. And the Pali term for, for this is uh, yaniso manasakara, And this quality of wise attention allows us to investigate our experience and <clears throat> specifically what I'm gonna talk about tonight is it allows us to investigate our thinking experiences. And, um, and I wanna say that in order to do this in a in a Uh, in a deep and authentic way requires a quality of kindness. It requires a quality of kind attention. Because oftentimes our thinking um, is a little bit charged. Has anyone ever noticed that? (laughs) Your thinking is a little bit charged. So with this quality of wise attention, uh, we're able to see below our thoughts to the, the mindsets or the moods that underpin those thoughts. And um, we're able to discern, and when we're able to do that, we're able to discern not only the presence but the momentum of different kinds of thoughts. Some thoughts are troubling and have a negative charge to them. They're often referred to as unwholesome thoughts or unwholesome mind states. And those, that could be something like worry or anxiousness or fear, or this is what I'm calling a, 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 an unwholesome mind state. Or it could be a beautiful, wholesome mind state, something like empathy and compassion and uh, patience. So, when we're able to discern these states underneath our thinking, it means that with wise attention, we're able to see whether our thinking, our, our mind states, are leading us into trouble, into suffering, Or whether they're leading us away from suffering. In other words, simply put, do they evoke or or alleviate suffering in our life? So if we bear in mind that when we're doing this practice, we're not necessarily practicing to um, um, attain any kind of particular um, uh, blissful, mindful our blissful meditative state, although that's often part of the meditation, but we're actually practicing to learn how to free ourselves from that which causes us to suffer. So I'm going to call happiness the absence of suffering. So <clears throat> When we begin to see, are we moving towards or away from suffering by the way that we're thinking, or the, or the mind states that are, are underpinning our thinking, um, are we, like most people, simply ascribing meaning to our thinking from an ordinary reactive perspective, a perspective where experience is habitually interpreted through a self-referential narrative or a story about us. You see, every experience we have, we infuse, we, we will, well, not every, but many, many of us will begin to in, infuse that experience with a narrative that takes it away from what it actually, what's actually happening and, and and moves it towards who we are or who we think we are. So uh, when we do this and most of this, most of us do this most of the time we lose the quality of mindful awareness that's needed to see through our tendencies towards greed and aversion and delusion, which are the sources of suffering in our life. This is the sources of our suffering in our life. And with practice we gradually develop the quality of mindful awareness. This is something that is developed with patience and kindness. Um, But this quality equips us with the skills that we need in order to consciously choose and encourage wholesome mind states, wholesome thoughts, and relinquish unwholesome thoughts. So we've been, we've heard the teachings on, you know, um, in, uh, 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 releasing unwholesome thoughts and <laughs> preventing them from arrive, uh, arising and, and cultivating. And this is basically how we do it. We first get a sense of what these things feel like, so that we're familiar with this. Now that sounds, that sounds so obvious, but it's really not. Because what happens for most of us, or I'll speak for myself, what happens is that I'll, keep, I'll be seduced by something before I realize what I've done and, or what's happening. And the next thing I know, a simple feeling is being filtered through a narrative that takes me away from the direct experience of the feeling. And when I'm away from that, I'm looking through the lens of delusion. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. So how do we, how do, we do this? And we begin by noticing that specific mind states are dependent or or what specific mind states are dependent upon and we also notice what's needed in order to release those mind states. So this skill grows with our ability to investigate our experience from this kind of a perspective. Mind states and moods affect how we feel and form the basis of how we, re- how we respond and how we react to our experience. When things are going smoothly, most of us are happy. When smooth sailing turns into rough waters, we're not so happy any longer. Our state of mind and our moods shift with the ebb and flow of our experience. So with this kind of deep attention, if we find ourselves hooked by a dark mood filled with some lots of remorse or regrets about something, instead of reacting or trying to escape the unpleasantness of the feeling, we learn to respond to the suffering or the stress that's actually present within our own mind. And this is how we cultivate <coughs> compassion. Believe it or not, we, we learn how to be with a moment of suffering without filtering it through a self-referential narrative that I, identifies us with that suffering We learn how to be with the raw, direct experience of the suffering. And in the seeing of the suffering, in that instant, we don't have to do anything. The seeing actually allows the release from that suffering to begin to happen. I'll say more about that in a little little bit. But, um, in many cases, when, when we encounter this suffering, what is actually needed is compassion and kindness. That's what's needed. A response to that moment of suffering is a, an appropriate response, is an appropriate of compassion. And I want to suggest something that a lot of us don't really understand or get. But compassion isn't something that we make ourselves feel. Compassion is a response of the heart, from the heart, when we're able to be with suffering in a direct way. The heart opens automatically. It's so beautiful. And it takes us off the hook. We don't have to, like, beat ourselves up because we're not feeling compassionate or kind. We we simply have to learn, and we can learn this. It's a skill. We can learn how to be at that place of stress or suffering without building a story about it automatically that, distracts us from the actual experience that we're having. Does that make sense? Yeah, are you? Okay. So how does this all play out in meditation? And in meditation, we learn how to review and see mind states and feelings basically just as they are just as they are, without turning them into an identity about who we think we are or who we want to be or without trying to force our experience to conform to a certain idea about the way things ought to be or we want life to be. We, we want things always to be positive and upbeat and we never want them to be negative and, and difficult. That's what most of us want. So, these mind states that form underneath our, our thoughts and our emotions, these mind states have a really, really powerful influence on how we think about ourselves and about our identity as being this way or that way. In other words, about who we think we are. So, this is important because we can easily mistake the message of our direct experience, the actual moment of, I'm going to point back to suffering, the actual moment of suffering, we can mistake that, which is how things are, and turn that into a message instead of who we think we are. And these mistaken mind states become a deeply embedded aspect of who we think we are, and it's one way that we create a self that we strongly identify with. And when we do that, most of us end up in some sort of stress or distress or suffering. I think it's safe to say that our problems are always exacerbated by this kind of self-view, which muddies our ideas and opinions of right and wrong, shame and pride, should and shouldn't, all of these worldly wins. And when we don't recognize this tendency for what it is, it's simply a habit of mind. It's a habit of mind that we're so familiar with, it just happens automatically. We end up assuming that we're absolutely fine the way we are or the opposite, that we're basically screwed up failures. So it's one or the other, you know? So our way through this mess is to address suffering and stress directly. So with this quality of wise attention, and mindful awareness, we're able to stop feeding our old, we're able to see these habits and to stop feeding these habits of mind that we're conditioned to default to. They're just like a default mode. You see, there's a default mode of the brain, but these habits, we just default to these. And and it happens so quickly that we're unaware that that's what's actually going on. And uh, they... As we do that, we strengthen them, and these default habits repeatedly hook us and cause us to repeat behaviors and reinforce attitudes that lead us into dukkha, into suffering. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that in your own experience? Any of you? Yes? Okay. All right. I wanna make sure (laughs) that we're all tracking here. So, both negative and positive mind states capture our attention. Both kinds of mind states Capture our attention, but when we learn to cultivate this quality of wise attention, we can begin to uh, uh, investigate the effect of both kinds of mind states and we can begin to discern under any underlying attachment or aversion. To whatever state is arising in us at any given moment. So I want to say that again. Both kinds of, whether it's a positive mind state or a negative mind state, these mind states have the, the ability, I guess it's, maybe it's not that they have the ability, but, but they capture our attention. They they really do seduce us, but when we begin to investigate with wise attention these these different kinds of mind states um, We can begin to see that we're either in We're either aversive to them or, or We're drawn to them. They they make us feel good so you we can begin to to notice the energetic experience of whatever is arising in us and we can begin to understand that these states lead us in different directions, lead us towards happiness or lead us away from happiness. So I want to say something else that's just a little bit subtle here, but you can can begin to notice a mind state And you can begin to notice the energy that's associated with it, the feeling that's associated with it. In other words, sometimes we get a feeling that feels, you know, like, whoa, this is good, or we get a feeling that's, you know, we're getting into dicey territory, red alert. But we might have a thought or a chain of thoughts that sort of begin to tip us towards a mood and we might see that that mood shifts and changes and at one moment it will feel one way and and in the next moment it feels another way so it's always a question of both and but the more you cultivate this quality of mindful awareness and you begin to investigate carefully which which doesn't mean just cognitively looking at something. We have to understand what's happening, but we get the feeling, the actual knowing of what's happening, and then we begin to become familiar with this territory of, of attention, this quality of wise attention. So. Attachments to, we can become attached to positive mind states and I want to say that was a build-up to what I'm going to say here. Attachments to positive mind states are sometimes felt in the body as a clamping down, a holding on in the mind. This is felt as clinging. You see, this is how we begin to understand what's going on. This is how we begin to see greed, aversion, and delusion in, in what's, what our experience actually is. So sometimes we have a positive experience or a positive mind state where we come upon. But when we look closely, we might be able to discern a kind of a clinging attitude or a clamping down or a holding on in the mind. So what I want to do is I want to make this really practical so that you can get it. It's not rocket science. It's just paying attention carefully. Negative states create create tension in the mind because they're unpleasant. We, we, we don't like them. There's the, the feelings associated with them are unpleasant. And this is the aversion of not wanting these states, of wanting to get rid of these states. And you can just begin to notice this. This is this, like if you pay attention to this quality of Vedana, what something feels like, you can begin to notice this. So when we learn to feel a feeling just as it is, as an impermanent sensory experience or a simple sensation. You see? Rather than an identity about who we think we are, we can begin to relax. We can begin to allow the feeling just to be what it is. It's just a feeling, it's a sensation it comes and it goes. We can allow it to pass through us without holding on or pushing it away, or what most of us do, we make it an aspect of who we are. We identify with it. So one of my monastic teachers describes this in the following way. He says, investigation of mind states, dhamma-vichaya, teases out the tangle that ties an image to a feeling that turns into a reflex of holding or rejecting. So, investigation of mind states teases out the tangle that ties an image to a feeling that turns into a reflex of holding or rejecting. In other words, when we cultivate the discernment to divorce our direct sensory experience, our feelings, from our aversion to or fascination with those feelings, we're able to break the stranglehold that they have on us. And then we can begin to put down the futility of trying to get rid of unpleasant moods or mind states or our tendencies to cling to pleasant moods or mind states and in this way we begin to turn our attention to the bodily somatic effect to the feeling itself in other words to learn how to be with the feeling itself, the knowing in our solar plexus or the sinking feeling in our gut or our belly or the tension in our forehead or our jaw. We learn to stay put and simply keep our attention right there. Right there. And gradually we learn to ascribe the felt meaning of our experience to a bodily felt sensation. We begin to trust our bodies to tell us what's going on. We no longer have to explain things to ourselves or fix it or fabricate a story or a narrative about it. We no longer have to evaluate things. All we have to do is learn how to see what's actually happening without immediately making a story about it. In a way, it takes us off the hook. When we can simply be with the direct seeing that comes from this quality of mindful awareness, the seeing itself of suffering opens opens a quality of spaciousness that allows us to be with that in a way that's not filled with resistance and rejection, with struggle, with fighting, with judgments and confusion. It allows it to just be right there. And oftentimes, the suffering is actually like a sensation, it's like a biochemical response that we're resisting, that we're pushing against. But when we can learn to just allow the feeling to be a feeling, a sensory experience, then we can see, oh, this is a moment of clinging, or this is a moment of wanting things to be otherwise. This is a moment of aversion, or this is a moment of wanting. We can begin to see desire and aversion and delusion in that moment. That's what Vipassana is, the seeing of these qualities. And and when we can do that, we can see that these experiences simply arise and pass away like everything else, they, they're they known simply as experiences that come and they go. It doesn't mean that they're not true. It doesn't mean that they don't have influence on us. It just means that they aren't who we are. And when we make them into who we think we are, suffering is sure to follow, is sure to follow. So in... In my own practice I look very very carefully at um, the quality of the experience that is underneath the content of the thought or the emotions I look for the the feeling does this feel positive does this feel negative is this and in that is am i going down this rabbit hole or am i going towards freedom from from the from the rabbit hole and i've learned to be patient and kind with myself because i mess up all the time i mess up all the time that's why why i started this talk saying kind attention is wise attention it's only when i could when i learned how to be kind to myself that i learned how to pay attention more carefully to what was happening and not to get drawn into identifying with with my experience in a way that i no longer could understand what was happening to me so <clears throat> when this happened the tightness in my chest or belly began to release and i began to see that the simple seeing gave rise to the shift to the to the quality of spaciousness beginning to to be discerned i could feel myself in in more I could feel myself in relationship to my experience in a more equanimous way because I wasn't, I wasn't confined in this tight little place. It was more like I was in a, uh, it's more like you're in a, a big lake or, a, or an ocean. So it's easier to deal with things when they're spaced. It doesn't mean that your problems go away. It just means that you're able to be in relationship to them in a more equanimous way. And this comes through this quality of learning how to see. When we... this seeing is what allows the mind state to change. And through this seeing is how we investigate with wise investigation, our wise attention. So, <clears throat> this same teacher talks about this, or, or helps, helps helped me understand how to do this by giving this simple instruction. <clears throat> and you could put any, any one of the Brahma-vihara's kindness or compassion or empathetic joy or equanimity, but <clears throat> you could say that compassion allows a thought or an emotion or a mood or a mind state to enter, to be fully known, and to pass away. It allows it to enter without resisting it, without rejecting it, without hiding from it, to be fully known and felt, and to pass away. You see? When that doesn't happen, if something occurs, we're triggered by something and it's highly charged, it ends up traumatizing us. And it's quite, it's simple, but it's not easy. It sounds simple, but it's not so easy to do. But it's with kindness and patience that we begin to allow this this teaching to take root in us. You see? Allow the feeling to enter, to be fully known, and to pass. And then we taste a moment of freedom. And then we see that we're not responsible. We can can literally learn to be friends with ourselves. We can forgive ourselves for being flawed or for Being less than we think we should be. We can forgive ourselves for even thinking such ridiculous, judgmental thoughts about ourselves. Most of us think that way. (laughs) Some of us don't. But you know, it's when we begin to meet ourselves with this type of kindness that things begin to shift. And it doesn't happen instantaneously. It happens with practice and over time. But the ways that we do it, some of the things that I talked about are the ways that we actually do it. We learn how to not reject our direct experience. We learn how to meet our experience directly. And and the way that we do that is we allow the feeling to enter, to be fully known, and to pass away. And in the process there's this quality of spaciousness which is very kind and very friendly and very compassionate. This is what compassion is. And in that way we begin to free ourselves from the kinds of things that were drawn to, and cling to, and desire, and the kinds of things that we don't want, and to the, to the liking and disliking, to the, you know, the worldly winds that buffet us about. So learning how to be with our experience in a direct and unembellished way is to be, is, is to be with our experience with empathy we can investigate our experience by asking ourselves is there a need or a sense underlying this feeling of stress or tension that we're experiencing or contraction and and if so you know what what is it trying to teach us we might we might discover something if we make an inquiry like that we might not it might just be a question we might have to sit with not knowing like during the meditation i, I was like practicing with this and, and I, I didn't quite know what the feeling was it and then i oh this is the feeling of not knowing yeah this is the feeling of not knowing and the feeling of of the not knowing, there was a quality of aversion that was present to that because I wanted to know, you see? That was, can I, can I be with not knowing without being in aversion, you see? So again, I wanna say, and I'm not meaning this in a, in a flip or cavalier way, but it's not rocket science. We just have to be friendly to ourselves. We have to allow ourselves to be human You know, sometimes we disappoint ourselves and other people, and other times we don't. We're great, and everybody thinks you're the greatest guy or greatest woman in the world, and you say, wow, great, I like that feeling. It's always both and. I just want to leave you with these thoughts. We don't have to resist fight with our thoughts or our emotions or our mind states. They're completely normal. They're completely natural. We all have them. Sometimes we think beautiful thoughts and sometimes we think thoughts that we don't have any idea how we could call ourselves a human being and be so low. But that's it. This is just what it's part and this is what it's like to be a human being. We can learn to see through the sense of identity that's embedded into our habitual default strategies and we can learn to respond to ourselves and to others in a more friendly, kind and grounded way. We can learn how to do this. These, this is, these are just skills. We can learn how to cultivate these skills. We can actually learn how to relax into the dynamic, ever-changing ebb and flow of our lives that's unfolding from moment to moment to moment. Wouldn't that be nice if we could just relax and let the flow of life happen and not be buffeted about by it? I want to suggest to you that that is possible. You can do that. This is how we cultivate compassion for ourselves, and this is how we cultivate compassion for other people. We're all subject to to this. This is what it's like to be a human being. And when we recognize this, the only thing the heart can do is to respond with compassion. I was with a good dear friend this morning and I was having a conversation a little bit along these lines and I was saying we, when we get through a, you know, our righteous indignation about this and that, the way people are, the way the world is, the state of the government, the state of the climate and planetary degradation, and so on and so forth. When we get through all of that, the heart just eventually breaks with love, with compassion. And, and in that heartbreak is the direct knowing of healing. I want to suggest that to you is the direct knowing of what it's like for the healing to take place. So um, those are my thoughts for tonight. And we have another minute or two here, if anyone has any questions. There's a, behind you, Joe
1: thank you for for your talk very um informative uh where does the concept of responsibility fits into what you describe here
0: the the concept of responsibility yeah i mean
1: um i don't know responsibility for your actions or others for their actions Mm -hmm. um you know or things that happened to you, or things that you did. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Because those evoke emotions and thoughts, or things that will happen, or that might have happened. Um, We kind of go through these stories through the concept of identity. You're saying, almost, if I understand it correctly, Mm -hmm. if we practice what you're saying to its completion, The identity completely dissolves and it's as if you're no longer there's no longer a story of any kind
0: I I I want to suggest it's It's not so much that I'm pointing to a state of of um, a realization of complete non-self but rather to when we investigate our mind states, we begin to see how we infuse those thoughts and mind states, moods and mind states, with a sense of identity. And how doing that is inherent, implicit in that, is the arising of suffering for us. And it's looking at the suffering itself. It's not looking at the sequence of the trigger that gets us to the suffering. And so when we begin to actually connect with the suffering or with the happiness or whatever it is we're feeling, it doesn't have to be suffering, um, but I'm using suffering as an example. When we connect with that directly, we can begin to see how the story that we built up around that simply begins to fall away, and that 's different than ant- trying to do something to antidote our suffering, which is infused with the wish with an aversive quality that doesn 't want it to be that way we 're simply looking and seeing what 's happening and and compassion, this quality of compassion. Doesn't mean that if something's unpleasant, it's suddenly going to not be unpleasant anymore. Compassion means that we have the courage and the capacity to be with the truth of the situation or our, our, our experience of it exactly as it is without abandoning ourselves or abandoning a, other, another person if we happen to be feeling compassion for another person, if it's directed towards another person. And in that kind of seeing, we know what our responsibility is. You see? And one of our... I would suggest that, although it's not generally put in these terms, that it is our responsibility (laughs) to learn how to stop beating the hell out of ourselves and to just learn how to meet our difficulties with this quality of clear comprehension that is the result of wise investigation and, and patience and kindness. So I, I want to finish tonight by saying kind attention is wise attention. Thank you. Thank you all.